You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome into a new week here at Locked on Rockets, your home for podcast analysis of all things Houston Rockets basketball. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent for Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship. As we chat this Monday evening, day two of NBA free agency is drawing to a close, and it's been a relatively quiet second day for the Rockets. It started with a bang on, well, night one, with the Rockets re-signing Chris Paul and Gerald Green, or agreeing to re-sign, I should say, within the first couple of hours of free agency opening at midnight Eastern time on July 1st, then unexpectedly losing Trevor Ariza to the Phoenix Suns on a one-year $15 million deal. We covered all aspects of those deals in yesterday's show. Since then, while there's been a lot of activity around the NBA as a whole, most notably LeBron James, as expected, agreeing to join the Los Angeles Lakers, there's not been much in the way of rumors surrounding the Rockets. We heard late Saturday night that the Rockets were scheduling a meeting with Clint Capella, their restricted free agency center in Los Angeles on Sunday. As far as I know, that meeting did take place, but there's been no reports after that meeting of the sides being any closer to a deal. The Rockets, of course, don't have to necessarily sign Capella themselves because he's restricted. They can match any outside offer he gets, so it's possible they could wait for him to sign an offer with another team and then match that offer to keep him in Houston. But certainly Capella, who at 24 years old has developed into one of the league's best big men and continues to get better, keeping him is a priority if the Rockets want to continue building off the 65-win season they had a year ago and remain poised to be a contender alongside the Warriors and maybe even the Los Angeles Lakers, but I think it's premature at this point to anoint the Lakers in that top tier. We'll have more on that in one of the latter segments of this show. To lead off, though, I want to give an update of what's going on today, because I mentioned the deals with CP3, Gerald Green, and losing Trevor Ariza. We discussed that yesterday. As far as Monday, though there's been a lot of noise on the NBA rumor mill as a whole, there has not been that much in regards to the Rockets specifically, and in my opinion, there are some reasons for that. We have heard them having meetings with some lower-tier candidates, guard Michael Carter-Williams, forward James Nunnally, who's been playing in Europe, and James Ennis, but those are effectively minimum salary candidates, just flyer picks that the Rockets could put either at the guard spot or 3 and D wings that essentially or nice into-the-bench veteran options, but nothing the Rockets are looking for in terms of any sort of substantial addition to the team or replacing Trevor Ariza. Those would essentially be lottery tickets. For the Rockets at this point, the focus is, of course, bringing back Clint Capella, who's the third member of your big three alongside uh, Chris Paul and James Harden, and then, of course, replacing the production that Trevor Ariza gave you as your starting small forward. So that's what the first two segments are going to be about. Let's lead with Clint Capella because it's been relatively quiet and I know that's gotten some folks a little bit antsy, a little bit nervous, but what I think we should all remember throughout this process is that this is normal for restricted free agency. Typically, restricted free agents, these things can go on for many days, if not weeks. Now, hopefully, there will be a resolution sooner than that, especially with a lot of suitors for Clint dropping off the market. For example, we heard from Kelly Eco of USA Today a few weeks ago that the Suns planned on offering Clint Capella a max deal. Well, they unexpectedly won the draft lottery, and then that positioned them to draft Aiton, so that took them out of the market for a big. We heard Sunday that 
the Lakers were going to meet with Clint Capella. Then, a few hours later, the Lakers ended up signing LeBron James, as well as a few other people agreeing to deals, we should say, Sunday night, which took away their cap space to offer anything even resembling a max deal or close to it for Clint Capella. And for those of you who saw Clint's tweet a sad emoji on Twitter, my guess, while not confirmed, my strong suspicion is that that sad emoji was in reference to the Lakers suddenly being unavailable as a team to leverage the Rockets. I don't think Capella has any interest in leaving Houston, but like most people, I do think he's financially motivated, and in restricted free agency, since the original team can match, it's typically up to the player to go out on the market and establish his value. And the Lakers are one of the few teams with max cap room. There are not that many teams that have it, and many of those that do are not really going after the likes of Clint Capella. They're looking to use it more on absorbing salary dumps from other teams and getting some draft compensation in the process because they know they're not really close to contending even if they get a Clint Capella. So the market is really not that big for Clint. The Lakers were one of the few teams where he might fit. And then when LeBron decided to commit on July 1st, that took away their cap room and that further complicated the financial picture for Clint. And in my opinion, that's why he was a little down. And I don't think he's upset with the Rockets. It's one of those things, don't hate the player, hate the game, to go back to, you know, one of the famous sayings of NBA-restricted free agency. It's not that the Rockets are doing anything wrong, they're acting in their own interest. If there's anything to blame for this awkward dance that can drag on a while, it's the system that essentially pushes teams to act in that manner. So I think Clint's on the market looking for another team that could potentially give him a deal that would give him a reasonable salary that the Rockets would match. Now, it's not that the Rockets are going to be extremely cheap, in my opinion, because if the Rockets go too cheap, there is a risk of Capella just signing the qualifying offer, which is a one-year deal, and then becoming an unrestricted free agent next summer. And if he feels that the Rockets did not pay him anywhere near what he was worth to where he signs for a one-year deal, folks, I would not have a good feeling about their ability to keep him a year from now. That would certainly make for some hard feelings. So while the Rockets, they do need to be aggressive in terms of getting the best deal they can, the luxury tax concerns are real. And if you just write a blank check to everyone, it could potentially prohibit you from using all of your exceptions down the road and continuing to build, which in this era of the Golden State Warriors and now the LA Lakers with LeBron is certainly a priority. At the same time, it's a fine line. You can't go too cheap because if you do, then yes, it's not that unfathomable for Capella to play for the qualifying offer and then be in a position to leave you for zero compensation next summer. So while I ultimately think cooler heads will prevail and there will be sort of a middle ground, I think Capella is hoping for another suitor to get into the mix so that it can be done quicker, as opposed to if it comes to essentially the leverage for Capella being signing a qualifying offer, that might take a little bit longer, even though it might ultimately be a little bit more towards the Rockets' advantage in terms of getting a cheaper deal. I don't think the plan has changed at all. I think the Rockets understand they have to keep Clint Capella to contend. It's just a matter of getting the best financial deal that they can. And likewise, Capella is searching the market for a team that's willing to tie up its cap space. One of the reasons, besides him being restricted, that teams are hesitant to use their cap space on Clint Capella is because you have to wait until the moratorium ends to officially sign him. Moratorium doesn't end until July 6th. And then there's at least two days that the Rockets would have to match. They could even extend that further if they were to do something like ask him to take a basic physical, something like that. So essentially, if a team were to give Clint Capella an offer sheet now, they would be tying up their cap space for over a week, all the while knowing the Rockets are almost certain to match no matter what. 
for example, I don't think there's any doubt that a 24-year-old Clint Capella makes a lot more sense for the Dallas Mavericks than a 30-year-old DeAndre Jordan. But the Mavericks signed Jordan, who's a lesser player, because essentially their fear was that if they signed Capella, the Rockets would 99% match anyway, even up to the max. And then if they were to wait until July 9th to have that money again, a player like DeAndre Jordan wouldn't be available. So that's the trouble for Clint. He's trying to find one team to take a little bit of a gamble. And for the Rockets, they're trying to see if maybe Clint comes back to the table more willing to take a reasonable offer. Again, I don't think the Rockets are not offering him anything. The Rockets do not want him to sign for the qualifying offer, which would put him in position to leave for no compensation next summer. What the Rockets want him to do is come down to their middle ground, and while there's a decent shot that will work, and if it doesn't, then if Clint finds a suitor, my guess is that the Rockets would certainly match. It would just be a little higher than everyone expected or wanted. Either way, I think the odds are good that Clint comes back to Houston. It's just a matter of exactly what the price point is. And because both sides have these competing interests, it could take a little bit longer than just a standard unrestricted free agent who is going to sign for the best deal available at the time. So yes, I'm comfortable and confident that it's going to get done. It just may take a little bit of time. And no, I am not at all concerned, despite a few rumblings from various places on Twitter to the contrary, about Tillman Fertitta's willingness to spend. If anything, I am more confident in the Rockets signing Clint Capella based on the deal they struck for Chris Paul. Because for the Rockets to sign Chris Paul to a $40 million a year deal through age 37 and then let Clint Capella walk, that would be the antithesis of everything Daryl Morey is about. If you let Clint Capella go after signing Chris Paul, agreeing to the signing, I should say, essentially between... Paul and Harden, you're already an over-the-cap team for the foreseeable future. And if anything, the production is going to get worse as these guys get into their 30s. So what would be happening, especially in this era of the Warriors, you would be putting yourself on what I consider an upper-middle-class mediocrity treadmill. You'd be winning 50 to 55 games every year, but without any real shot to contend. And because you're over-the-cap anyway, it's not like you could replace Capella with someone maybe a little bit cheaper. No, you'd be looking at signing guys for the taxpayer MLE in the minimum, the same way you are right now. So the fact that Tillman Fertitta paid up for Chris Paul, that actually makes me even more confident that he's going to do it for Clint Capella because it makes absolutely no sense to do it for one but not the other. Once you agree to that deal with Chris Paul, it's a sign that you are all in on this core, this version of the team. And while ultimately they do want to get the best deal they can for Clint Capella, I don't think there's any price point that it makes sense to let him walk. And it's not just a matter of Tillman Fertitta signaling that, it's also Daryl Morey, because if Morey did not believe or had any concerns about Tillman Fertitta's willingness to do this, they would have ironed that out well before free agency. And I can guarantee you that Daryl Morey, he did not think that giving Chris Paul a deal, making nearly $45 million a year in a season which he's going to turn 37 years old, is a great economic investment. No, he did it because it's the price for contention. You go all in if you want the opportunity to win a title. If they were to subsequently let Capella go, essentially what you would be doing, you would be taking all of the downside of the, Capella, uh, of the Chris Paul deal in terms of him being overpaid and making you capped out for the foreseeable future, even when he's 37 years old and probably on the decline, but with none of the upside, meaning that because you let Capella go, even with Chris Paul and James Harden, there's no way that you can actually beat the Warriors and win a championship. So I'm not any more concerned about Capella. If anything, I'm more optimistic based on the deal they agreed to in the first moment of free agency with Chris Paul. 
this deal with Clint is going to get done. It's just because of the unique factors of restricted free agency. This is not a Rockets phenomenon. This happens around the league every year. It's just going to take a little bit of time. The optimistic scenario, the more quiet, the better, in my opinion, because the more it's quiet, the more you hear, the more you start to suspect that there's not another suitor at anywhere near the max level for Clint Capella. In my opinion, that's why he tweeted the sad emoji. He was sad because the Lakers were the team he was looking for to get his deal, to leverage the Rockets into a higher amount. So in my opinion, you shouldn't be scared off by the quiet. If anything, you should embrace it in the case of Clint Capella, because that, in my opinion, is what's going to lead you to the most team-friendly deal possible and maybe leave even a little bit more money for other deals for the Rockets this summer by virtue of what Tillman Fertitta could save if they get Clint Capella to re-sign on a more friendly deal. Now, that's where I think things are in regards to Clint Capella. It's quiet, but I think that's generally a good thing. In regards to the rest of the market, that's a little more complex. After losing Trevor Ariza, the Rockets clearly have a hole at the small forward spot. I don't think they're just planning on re-signing Luke Bamute, who fell out of the rotation altogether in the playoffs and has injury concerns, into a 30-plus minutes per game role, or giving extended run to guys like Gerald Green at the minimum, or anyone you drafted or picked up in undrafted rookie free agency. This is a team that's looking to win here and now, as explained in the Chris Paul and Clint Capella dynamics. They're not going to turn over a spot. Not that Trevor Ariza was great. He has his weaknesses offensively, especially in terms of creating off the dribble. But very versatile, played over 30 minutes per game, good defender, at least for the regular season, a good three-point shooter. The Rockets are not going to run it back without Trevor Ariza and think that that team is capable of beating the Golden State Warriors. There's an upgrade coming. It's a matter of how it's going to be done. The taxpayer MLE, which they have starting at about $5.3 million per year, could certainly be one possibility. You're already starting to see some players fall through the cracks because, as we've described in the past few weeks, there's not that much of a middle class in free agency. Not that many teams have cap room, and the few that do are in the market for the big names. There's not that much in the way of a middle class because the teams that have a lot of cap room, Atlanta, Sacramento, Brooklyn, they don't really make sense for, say, your run-of-the-mill role player that's about 30 years old. So you could have some guys falling through the cracks, and maybe one of those could be your guy to replace Trevor Ariza on a more cost-efficient uh, deal at the small forward spot. Again, it's not that cost has zero component of the equation. I do think that $15 million for one year was a little rich for the Rockets' blood. Luxury taxes do carry some weight, and I think that Daryl Morey, Tad Brown... Tillman Fertitta, they just thought they could get a more efficient solution, and we just have to wait and see what that is. They could potentially fill it via the taxpayer MLE, or they could potentially look to the trade market. The easiest way in the trade market, as I mentioned in Sunday's show, would be to move the Ryan Anderson contract for deals that are similarly not good, in other words, negative assets, but maybe a better position fit for you. Kent Bazemore with the Hawks could be a possibility. He could give you some of the 3 and D skills that Ariza had. And in fact, Bazemore last year had at 39.4% his best three-point stroke uh, shooting percentage of his entire career. Maybe Wilson Chandler out of Denver. Slightly smaller contract than Ryan Anderson, but there are ways that you could make it work involving a third team. Maybe Courtney Lee out of New York. Maybe you could trade Ryan Anderson, you're probably looking at three team scenarios no matter what, and upgrade the spot that way, and then use the taxpayer MLE to fortify depth elsewhere in terms of maybe a fourth guard, backup center, etc., etc. Or you could just look to upgrade the wing spot straight through the taxpayer MLE and just save Ryan Anderson 
for later use. I don't think the Rockets, unless they were in desperate financial straits, would just pay future assets to dump Ryan. If they were, if it were that situation, I think they would have done that to keep Ariza. For them to let Ariza go and keep Ryan Anderson tells me that it's not a matter of them being in desperate financial straits. It was a calculated move in terms of cost efficiency. Because it's not that Ryan is unmovable. You could move him trading a couple of first-round picks. I'm confident. But it's about whether that's the right play. As I've mentioned, down the road, there's a couple of things. The Rockets have not gotten a start at this point. We mentioned they went after LeBron James and Paul George. Those pursuits were unsuccessful. Well, it's not like the Rockets are going to stop trying. If Joey Butler doesn't sign his extension, which the Timberwolves are putting on the table, maybe he gets out of Minnesota a year early, the same way Paul George did in Indiana a year ago, and the same way Kawhi Leonard is trying to in San Antonio now. We'll have to wait and see. But ultimately, Ryan Anderson's contract for salary-filling purposes could be very useful. Also, if you keep your first-round draft picks, that's extremely important because then you can use those in potential star trades down the line. So if you keep Ryan, that means you keep your first-round draft picks. You have Ryan as salary-filler. And as soon as a year from now, it's actually possible that Ryan could become a positive asset because he's an expiring deal that another team could see as cap space after the year. So while the Rockets could look to move Ryan, I don't think they're desperate to because moving him at this point would require losing your first round picks and you would be taking away his value as a salary filling option in bigger trades down the road. So while it's a possibility, I'm sure they're exploring, it needs to be the right fit. So that's why I think they're sort of working on uh, multiple paths right now, if you will, in terms of potentially filling a small forward spot, some by trade options and others by taxpayer MLE. And then at the end of the day, they'll compare the two and see what they think the best deal is. The most interesting thing to me, though, has been the relative silence in terms of rumors surrounding that taxpayer MLE. As mentioned earlier, it's not that the Rockets have been quiet. We saw from Joe Morey's Instagram, they're out in LA, which is where most of NBA free agents are. They've had meetings. They've been documented with Michael Carter, Williams, James Nunnally, James Ennis. But these are minimum salaried guys. They have not had any confirmed interest with the middle class thus far, even though some of them, like Tyreek Evans, who was linked to the Rockets a few weeks ago by CyberX over at Clutch Fans, he could definitely be a fit, even if you want to say you're replacing Ariza, well, you could play small ball more. We saw the Rockets close out a lot of the Western Conference Finals games with, with Chris Paul, James Harden, and Eric Gordon all out there, essentially three guards. So you could partially replace Trevor Ariza going a little bit smaller if that's what you wanted to do, especially if you still retained Luke Bamute as well to keep some of your defensive presence. Nonetheless, even though Tyreek Evans is apparently open to signing for the MLE, in addition to the Lakers and I believe the Wizards, one of the teams that Evans has met with, it's a finalist as I record this uh, Monday evening, is the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are way, way over the tax, uh, or, or well, over the cap, but actually into luxury tax territories, what I meant, and yet they're still they're running for Tyreek Evans, which tells you that he's willing to play for the mid-level exception, or at least here offers. It's not outlandish, and I'm sure a lot of other players are too. Anthony Tolliver struck a deal with the Minnesota Timberwolves for barely over $5 million for a one-year deal. That's a 3 and D wing who had a career-best shooting year last year. That could be a fit. He goes to a Western Conference playoff team. The Rockets weren't even in the mix. We haven't heard of the mix with Tyreek Evans. So what's interesting is not the Rockets are just sitting on their hands and doing nothing. It's that even as top MLE candidates are going, and potentially for MLE prices, you're still hearing the Rockets silent on that front. No, I don't think it means they're going cheap because the starting small forward spot is a big deal. I don't think they're just hoping to replace it. That's just silly with Luke Bamute, Gerald Green, and a late second round draft pick or two. I think they do want to 
prioritize development of younger players, but that's more of a two to three year process as opposed to throwing them out there as 25 to 30 minutes per game players on a supposed contender. That's not what Chris Paul signed up for. That's not what Gerald Morey is trying to do with the championship window as open as it has ever been for Gerald in his 10 plus years in Houston. There is a plan. It's just very curious that we have not heard the Rockets to this point linked to any of the top free agents. Now, when I say top free agents, I mean for mid-level exception money. Now, it could be. Maybe they're down the path in terms of a potential trade involving Ryan Anderson, but we haven't heard that either. And with trades, teams can be more patient because there's no time leverage. It's not like free agents who are looking to get guaranteed money as soon as they can for obvious reasons. Trades can take a little bit more time. So there are a lot of potential dynamics at play, but I certainly don't think the Rockets are being cheap and just saying, well, we're not going to spend the taxpayer MLE. If anything, they have more money than people thought going into the offseason because they let Trevor Ariza go. Now, one theory I've seen thrown out there is that maybe the Rockets are earmarking the MLE for Luke Bamute and a little bit extra for their second-round draft picks. While that's possible, the more time that goes without a leak of Bamute coming close to a deal with the Rockets, and I have not seen any, again, as I'm recording this Monday evening, if it's later than that, then stay tuned, we'll have another show, but the longer it goes without any concrete link between Bamute and the Rockets, the more skeptical I am that he is getting that MLE. Because for Luke Bamute, a guy who's in his 30s, coming off a major injury concern with two shoulder dislocations, and someone who fell out of the playoff rotation altogether in the playoffs, yes, I do think it's important the Rockets keep him for defensive purposes, but if they were offering him close to the MLE, that's a great deal for Luke considering the circumstances, and I think he would be jumping all over it. The fact that he hasn't tells me that the Rockets are probably offering him maybe the non-bird tender of $2.8 million. That's about 120% of his prior year salary, or maybe even asking him to take the minimum again. So while it's possible you could be earmarking the MLE for Luke, at this point in a market that is not really that good, I would be a little surprised based on the fact that he hasn't taken it yet. What I get more suspicious of as every hour passes is that that MLE money it might be targeted to someone who's not really on the broader market yet. And there are two names that I come back to more than any others. I'm not necessarily endorsing them. I'm just thinking it through in terms of what makes sense with the lack of rumors. One is Sergio Yule, the Spanish guard who the Rockets have held his rights for years and been, of course, famously rebuffed several times. He has recently turned 30. He may be getting to a point. It's not like there's no precedent for... European guards, once they get to their 30s, for finally trying out the NBA. We saw it with Pablo Prigioni at some point after winning so many titles, so many MVPs over there in the Spanish League. At, at some point, there's probably nothing more to prove. The Rockets do need a fourth guard, as we discussed in regards to Tyreek Evans, and you wouldn't hear rumors that the Rockets were pursuing that path because, well, the Rockets have the rights to Yule, so it's not like he's fielding competing offers, which is how you get agents to leak what's going on. So you could be looking at Yule, the fourth guard spot, if he's ready to play. At, uh, in his 30s, he should be relatively uh, ready, I would say. It would be sort of like Luis Scola a decade ago. Very different position, of course, but in terms of a guy who, even though not in the NBA, would be ready relatively quickly, even next year, to make contributions. The other guy, and I've mentioned as a possibility before, Carmelo Anthony. You know the links between Carmelo and Chris Paul. The Rockets wanted him last summer. 
He did not have a good year at Oklahoma City, but there were some questions in regards to the system fit, the coaching with Billy Donovan, the point guard play in terms of facilitating with Russell Westbrook, the system in Houston led by Mike D'Antoni and Chris Paul, much better in my opinion for Carmelo's skill set. It's almost a certainty that he's going to get let go out of Oklahoma City, who after continuing to make more moves, we mentioned they were a finalist for Tyreek Evans, they did agree to a deal with Nerlens Noel, they kept Paul George. Right now, considering luxury taxes, to keep Carmelo Anthony, who's a bit of a malcontent, it would cost them, factoring in the luxury taxes, $91 million. So it's almost a certainty that he will be either bought out, waived and stretched, some combination of that. Perhaps he could be a fit for the Rockets' MLE to sort of maybe even make up the difference in regards to whatever he gives up in a potential buyout with Oklahoma City. Now, I know Carmelo at this point in his career should probably be a small ball four rather than a three based on defensive limitations. And in Houston, the hole is at the small forward spot. But considering Houston starts P.J. Tucker at the four, which is not exactly a traditional four defensively, P.J. with a lot more flexibility, versatility, you might could have a little bit more of an opening to play Carmelo some minutes at the three than you could if maybe you had a little more uh, traditional four who could not play in space and guard perimeter players the way that P.J. can. Again, I'm not necessarily endorsing it. I understand especially the defensive liabilities with a 34-year-old Carmelo Anthony. I'm just thinking out loud because he is another guy who might make sense for the Rockets from the standpoint of there's no rumors about Carmelo and the Rockets because Carmelo has not been officially bought out or released from the Thunder yet. So you can't have rumors about a player who isn't even on the market. So it's just day two of free agency. It's July 2nd. So there's still a lot more possibilities than those two. I admit it's very possible the Rockets kept things below the radar, although the way their meetings got out with Ennis, Nunnally, and Michael Carter-Williams, I'd be skeptical that they could be down the road with a higher tier candidate without someone leaking it somewhere, if nothing else for agents trying to mention more teams, especially a really good team like Houston, for leverage purposes. But the deeper we go into free agency without any concrete rumors, I don't think the Rockets are not going to spend that taxpayer Emily. After losing Ariza, it's more obvious than ever, in my opinion, that yes, they will spend it. It's just a matter of who it is earmarked for. It could be for Luke Babute. It could be for one of the other top free agents on the market. J.J. Redick went off the board today back to Philadelphia. I suppose there's still Avery Bradley. Mentioned Tyreek Evans, although the Rockets haven't had a meeting to this point. You could go down the list on and on, and it's possible the Rockets could see themselves as a fit. But the longer we go without any concrete news about the Rockets and a legitimate MLE target, or the Rockets and Luke Babute being close to a deal for the MLE, the more suspicious I get that that MLE might be being held for someone who is not really on the market at the moment. And while there's more possibilities than just Sergio Yule, the guard out of Spain, and Carmelo Anthony, the forward out of Oklahoma City, those are the two highest profile names I can think of in terms of potential options, but that are not yet ready to sign, or at least known to be ready to sign, as we chat on the evening of July 2nd. Now, as we close out the program, I want to discuss the elephant in the room, which is LeBron James signing with the Lakers. We touched on this Sunday in our day one show of free agency because I believed it to clearly be an inevitability. There's been too many links in terms of LeBron to the Lakers, not just on the basketball court, but lifestyle and not enough leaks to him anywhere else, including Houston. And I made the case yesterday for why I don't really think it changes that much for the Rockets in terms of their basketball plan. Yes, it makes the Lakers better, but LeBron by himself is not going to take the Lakers from a 35-win team to the 60-65-win to 65 win range that the juggernaut Warriors and Rockets were at this past year. It's another quality team in the West, which makes the Western Conference as a whole tougher 
and Oklahoma City should be better with the return of Andre Robertson, more stability with Paul George. They added Nerlens Noel. We'll see what happens with Tyreek Evans. The Lakers are better. Dallas and Phoenix, even teams that were non-playoff teams, in the case of Dallas, pretty bad, have added a lot and should be better. So yeah, the Western Conference, it's going to be a bloodbath. That said, it's not going to disproportionately impact the Rockets. It's going to impact everyone. So that 16 games of separation the Rockets had between themselves and every other team, 16 games or more, outside of the Warriors, it should still be there. Yes, the Western Conference is tougher, but it's going to affect everyone equally, and so the Rockets should still be in a strong position, in my opinion, to be a top-two seed again and get their shot at the Warriors, assuming health, assuming luck, all those good things, in the Western Conference Finals next year. That's the upside. And we discussed that in yesterday's show. I don't think LeBron signing with the Lakers changes too much in terms of the outlook for the Rockets. The more interesting angle to look at is whether the Rockets were actually considered at all and what we learned from the LeBron James Derby. As I mentioned, I do believe LeBron James considered the Rockets. I had credible reports that he was in Houston scoping out schools even. Now, I don't believe that was unique to Houston. I'm sure he did at other locations too. But to, to give a little bit more depth, we heard from Lee Jenkins of Sports Illustrated in a piece on SI.com breaking down LeBron's decision that LeBron had his agent, Rich Paul, break down four teams. He asked for a report. The Rockets, the Sixers, the Cavs, and the Lakers. And I'm sure he compared and contrasted. I'm sure he looked at all the situations. But ultimately, of course, he signed with the Lakers. That was the only concrete rumor we heard throughout the process. And to me, the biggest takeaway in terms of what happened was LeBron James not just signing with the Lakers, but signing a four-year deal and signing without any other max free agent, not Paul George, not a trade for Kawhi Leonard, being in place. So for all we heard in terms of LeBron's quotes about high IQ players, championship window, it was clearly, at least in part, for non-basketball reasons. Comfort for his family, the entertainment industry, Whatever you want to chalk it up to, it was not just about the best chance to win in the next year or two. And I do think the Lakers certainly can build a contender, if not this summer, because of cap constraints and Paul George apparently not taking the offer. I think down the road they certainly can. But that's going to take a year or two. Can LeBron James at 34 wait that long? I guess we'll find out. We'll see if his body holds up. It's a bet. But regardless, him signing a four-year deal, it's pretty clear that this is where he wants to be. This was his end game. And for a player that's notorious in LeBron's case for signing these one-plus-one deals, that's all he did in Cleveland to exert leverage, a four-year deal is very out of the box, and it's very telling. It shows you that for LeBron James, as I said, this was the end game. It was about getting to Los Angeles. So while I think he did consider Houston, ultimately I think it makes it easier to swallow if you are the Rockets wondering, how did you convince Chris Paul last summer, and how could you not close the deal with LeBron James? Ultimately, the way it went down, it makes it clear as day, in my opinion, that it was not just a basketball decision. Lifestyle, family, off-court earnings, whatever you want to say, whichever you want to give the most weight to, it was clearly not all about basketball, as evidenced by, of course, there's been a lot more specific rumors. I don't know which to give credence to in terms of the various entertainment interests he has in Hollywood, his homes, all those types of things. But regardless, the proof is in the pudding, signing on day one of free agency, a four-year deal for a guy who's done basically one plus ones for the majority of his prime. I just don't think that there's a lot the Rockets could have done differently. It's a disappointment, but in terms of lessons learned, 
other than uh, your franchise being in Los Angeles, California instead of Houston, Texas. And I would not want that. Uh, th there's just not a whole lot else you can say. I don't think the Rockets have any regrets. I think they put their best foot forward. I think they were considered. And I think from a basketball standpoint, they made the most sense. It's just for LeBron James, it was not a basketball decision. And so in my opinion, while it's not satisfying that LeBron didn't pick the Rockets, and of all teams he goes to, he goes to another Western Conference team, makes the West harder. And in terms of closing the gap on a historically great Warriors team, that easily could have been the ticket to do it. And unfortunately, that's not the path that LeBron chose to go down. Wish him well. He's a free agent. He earned that right. Maybe the greatest player the game has ever seen. I'm not going to blast him. But just from the standpoint of us as the Rockets community, I think the decision, not just what he made, but how it went down day one, a four-year contract, in my opinion, it makes it all the easier to move on because pretty clearly it was a decision that was not just about basketball. I don't think there's a whole lot else that Daryl Morey, Chris Paul, and Houston's recruiting team would have done or, or could have done. I think LeBron James just wanted to be in Los Angeles. That's what it comes down to. And the Rockets, I think he gave them consideration, but ultimately they were fighting a losing battle. There's just not a whole heck of a lot they could have done. And with that, I think we can close the book on this chapter of the Rockets' pursuit of LeBron James and what it means. Because, again, other than geography, I don't think it means a whole heck of a lot. So with that, we'll wrap up today's show, and hopefully by the time you're listening to this, we'll have uh, some rumors start to come out about the taxpayer MLE, about trade possibilities, and if that's the case, we'll of course jump right back in here at Lockdown Rockets with more content and analysis in the days ahead. For now, though, I will wrap up. As always, you want more content in the interim between shows, the best place to get it is on Twitter. I'm on there, at Ben DuBose, simply my name, B-E-N-D-U-B-O-S-E. The show is on there, at Lockdown Rockets. And don't forget, we've also got a website, LockedOnRockets.com, a Facebook account at Facebook.com slash LockedOnRockets, and an email address, LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. Always, you can access our content, ask me questions about the team, make suggestions for the show, advertising inquiries, anything we can do to make this a better podcast for you, the Rockets fan, you, the human being. Don't hesitate to reach out. Would absolutely love to hear from you. Again, as I'm recording this, this is day two of free agency, Monday night. If something has broken since then, stay tuned because we do have breaking news episodes all the time. Whenever something happens, we'll have you covered right here at Lock on Rockets. And the best way to get alerts besides following me on Twitter is to subscribe to the show. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Megaphone, odds are wherever you listen to your podcast, you can subscribe to Lock on Rockets because we've got a great network of shows across the NBA, NFL, and even Major League Baseball across the Lockdown Podcast Network. So you can subscribe to us. You'll get alerts right when they come out. And in addition to subscribing to us at your favorite podcast listening medium of choice, also, if you could, leave us a five-star review because that's how we're able to look attractive to potential advertisers and make the business model work here at Lockdown Rockets, the most regular podcast covering Houston Rockets basketball. As always, thanks to you guys for listening, and we'll be talking again very soon, breaking down the latest developments in free agency right here at Lockdown Rockets, your home for podcast analysis of all things related to your Houston Rockets.